Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. Got to hear from you this week. Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates, that's where you can hear us. And make sure you check out every Sunday morning over 100 stations across America. It's Wanna Bet Weekend Edition. Go check your local listings, or you can go check us out at sportsgarden.com to find the links for that. Guys, here we are. It's week one in the NFL. Yeah, we can talk about college. Yeah, we can talk about the Yankees collapse. We can talk about the Mets collapsing. We can talk about all kinds of baseball stuff. But no, it is week one in the NFL. It will be a full week one conversation. I cannot wait to get into it. So look, week one in the NFL, it often breeds a lot of new handicappers only seeing what they saw last year and riding what they saw last year. It's a big mistake. It's a big mistake to only sit back and remember, well, this team was good last year, so they're just going to be good again this year. It's a foolhardy thing to do, and I think that the sports books have absolutely taken advantage of that in week one. We look at week one already this year. We're going to look at the line movement. We'll talk about all the games. And the line movement already shows people are really progressing towards the only thing that they really know, and that is, okay, well, what did I see last year? But the problem with the NFL is, first of all, it's cyclical. We know every single year there's a bunch of new playoff teams. Every year there's the hangover teams, the team that over over jumped things last year. Well, they come back down to earth, the teams that had a bad record. We have different quarterbacks. We have different coaches, different assistant coaches, different coordinators all over the league, different personnel. A lot changes from year to year in the NFL. A ton changes from year to year in the NFL. So to only look at last year, And to stare at last year, well, you know what? You're going to get burned by the books. So we're going to take a look at all the games here, take a look at some of the changes, and I'll give you kind of my leans at the end of the show. I will give you my best bet of the week, and we're going to get into it now. Let's start off with Thursday night's game. The game that I think is probably the worst game to bet on the entire week. This is the one game I would absolutely just flat out not touch all week long. I often say, and I'll repeat this again here, that with weekday and Monday night games, you know, Thursday night, Monday night, even Sunday night games, I often tell people, put that on a regular card. Don't look at the days. Don't look at when it's being played. Just look at it in context of the entire other Sunday slate of games. And you look at the entire slate of games on Sunday, 
and then put it there and say, would you be taking the Bills and Rams if this was played on Sunday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time? No. No, you wouldn't. So in this case, why would you go out and do it? Why would you go out and touch this game? Look, the Bills opened up, depending on where you were looking, about minus a half or minus one point. It's up to two and a half. And I'm seeing some some indication that this might reach three by game time. The Buffalo Bills are the number one team that are right now being bet for Thursday. Just exceedingly bet. Everyone's coming in on Buffalo. Buffalo is the Super Bowl favorite. Buffalo has the MVP favorite in Josh Allen running the show. So you start to look at this game and you go, yeah, okay, I get why the number's moving up, but does it deserve to move up? I'm a guy that picked the Bills to win the championship last year. I'm a guy that picked... Josh Allen to win a championship and an MVP last year. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that went out there and said, I think Buffalo is going to win the championship this year. But this is a tough game for Buffalo. First of all, the Rams are clearly disrespected. Getting two and a half or three points at home opening night, the Super Bowl champions are getting a little disrespected. That's number one. Number two, Matthew Stafford's arm has been the conversation for a long time. But you know what? Matthew Stafford's always had elements and it really hasn't seemed to really affect him overly. You also look at Buffalo. Jordan Poyer has missed a large portion of summer. There's question marks if he's even going to play in this game. I think he does play, but he's clearly not going to be 100%. Tredavious White is out of this game. He's their best cornerback. I would say he's a top five corner in the league. When you compare him head-to-head with Jalen Ramsey, who might be the best corner in the league, probably is the best corner in the league. Uh, Xavier Howard might have something to say about that. But when you compare him to Jalen Ramsey head-to-head, He stacks up pretty favorably. So against a passing team with the best wide receiver year in history, Cooper Cup, and Matthew Stafford, a Super Bowl quarterback, coming back on this fast turf, well, they're going to have to do it without their number one cornerback and a banged-up safety. I'm a little worried. I'm a little concerned if I'm Buffalo. Now, on the other side of things, you can say, look, Buffalo did improve over the offseason. Isaiah McKenzie's going to step into that slot role. I kind of like that. I like the fact that they drafted Cook, so you now can go for a three-headed running back situation. Uh, I do believe that Josh Allen still has some room to grow, even from last year. We see the progression year after year. But they also lost Dable on the offensive side of things. How much is that going to impact them? On the other side, look, the Rams, they have question marks of their own, so this is why I'm not jumping all over the Rams. You look at Stafford's arm as a question mark. How does Allen Robinson kind of fit into this equation? And then you turn around and you start looking at the running back situation or the lack thereof. We watched Buffalo struggle with running teams last year. They lost to New England, a running team. They lost to Pittsburgh, a running team. They lost to the Colts, a running team. They lost to Tennessee uh, with just the pure definition of they could not stop Derrick Henry and the running game. Well, there is no real semblance of a running game here. Cam Akers is not 100%. There was question if he will even play. Daryl Henderson is certainly not a between-the-tackles runner. There was question if he could play. We watched McVay talk up Kyron Williams because of necessity. He has had to play a lot. So the running situation in Los Angeles does worry me. I also worry that the Rams defensively might take a couple of games to gel. Now, Bobby Wagner is an immense talent, but they have some moving parts defensively that you're going to have to fill in and kind of shuffle up. They have the main stars, but not exactly everybody. You also have the emotional high and the letdown, and we know that that's there. So for me, I don't really like this game. I'm not taking it either way. I I think Buffalo wins, but I also think that the Rams are being a little disrespected with the line. If I'm looking at something to take in this game, look, how about both tight end prop plays, right? Dawson Knox is a guy 
that you're getting a pretty decent amount here for him to score a touchdown. You're looking at across the way, Tyler Higby. Yeah, you could get a plus money there on a pretty decent amount for him to score a touchdown. Both of them are about three or four to one to score a touchdown. You can get an opportunity there if you're looking for something. This is a prop play kind of game. I do expect Cooper Cup, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, the big boys, to all be a little overjuiced, but you could find underneath guys, Isaiah McKenzie, to have a big game. that You can find some, some decent money on that as well. All right, let's move on to Sunday. Atlanta, New Orleans. Now, I'm going to tell you this statistic here, which goes for a couple of games so far on the board. It goes for a couple of games that we're going to be talking about, but this one is it, it, it's a statistic that goes for this. Divisional underdogs have won 60 of the last 100 against the spread in week one. Divisional underdogs, 60% winners in week one. So keep that in mind because we do have a couple like like Houston uh, and Indy later on. But you're looking at this game and you're saying everybody likes the, everybody likes New Orleans. Everybody likes what they're doing. The line opened up at three. It's up to five and a half, sometimes six in some spots. Atlanta is at home. They have Marcus Mariota. He doesn't instill any confidence in anybody. They have uh, uh, Kyle Pitts. But after that, is it Drake London? Their running backs are just a mess. It might be Williams is the starting running back. Their defense is a mess. Everybody loves Winston. Everybody loves what they're doing in New Orleans. you got Kamara coming back. Michael Thomas may suit up. You still have a very good defense. I understand why the Saints are getting the love, and I understand why the Saints are the favorites here, but you have to look at Atlanta in here and say you are a home divisional underdog. Mariota is a solid quarterback, and he's got a lot to prove. He does fit this offense pretty well. Pitts in London could be matchup problems, and you know you don't know what New Orleans is coming in here with a brand new coach. That's something to explore as well. Let's go to San Francisco and Chicago. The Bears are now getting a full touchdown. Everybody in the everybody in the world is down on the Bears. The Bears total for season wins opened up at seven. It was quickly bet down to six and a half. Quickly bet down to six. I saw it touch five and a half in some places. Everyone's down on the Chicago Bears. And San Francisco, well, I don't know if they can get any more love at this point. Everyone loves San Fran. Trey Lance is going to dominate. I've seen people picking San Francisco to win the championship. They have a great defense. They have all the moving parts and Debo and Kittle. Everything is working in San Francisco. And I understand that the line was going to go up. But this is, again, a home underdog getting a touchdown. And it's a home underdog getting a touchdown where Trey Lance has the world on his shoulders. They kept Jimmy Garoppolo on this team. And right now, Trey Lance has everything sitting on his shoulders, all of the pressure. He's not a guy, now, now got to go on the road to face this Bears team. And this Bears team that, oh, by the way, yes, they lost Khalil Mack. They still have the best linebacker in football in Roquan Smith. They still have one of the best corners in Johnson. They have a really exciting safety in Brisker. They still have Robert Quinn, who's going to get to the quarterback. They have nice things on defense and offensively. Look, call me a Bears fan, and yeah, I am, but I'm enthusiastic. I think that the field's running game with Montgomery and Herbert could be exciting. I like Cole Komet. I like Mooney. They don't have the firepower, but you're getting seven points week one at home against basically a rookie quarterback that has all kinds of question marks. That's a recipe for an underdog. Same thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, divisional underdogs hit 60%. Pittsburgh Steelers getting six and a half. Look, I wanted this to get to seven. And in some spots... Some spots, it's looking like it might get to seven as we hear about Joe Burrow. Speaking of Joe Burrow, one of the reasons I sort of lean Pittsburgh here. Joe Burrow has missed a large portion of the summer. 
Not only that, but they have injuries upon the offensive line. They have injuries on the defensive line. We don't even know if Trey Hendrickson is going to play. Jesse Bates had a long holdout. Cincinnati also had the third easiest schedule last year. They have a tougher schedule. I think everything just fell right for the Bengals last season. I think everything kind of just fell into place. The Steelers, meanwhile, sure, the whole world hates the Steelers. Again, happened last year. Last year, I sat here. I told you guys, Steelers over, Steelers over, give me Harris, touchdowns over, and, and it crushed it. Well, Pittsburgh is only seven and a half, although Tomlin has never had a losing season. I look at Pittsburgh and I go, they still have a dynamic head coach. Let's let's just put it the way it is. Mike Tomlin's a fantastic head coach. They still have a top five defense with the best defensive player in football in TJ Watt. They did add Miles Jack, who, look, I watched him play live on the field against UNLV at UCLA, and I came away from that and said he's one of the fastest linebackers I've ever seen. I was comparing him favorably at that point to some of the fastest linebackers I've seen in college. The guy's still only 25 years old. He's still young. I think he fits in really well with that. And let's not just go out here on a limb and just go crazy about, well, they lost Big Ben. They did. Mitch Trubinsky's going to get the start. I watched him with Chicago. He does some interesting things. Harris is a talent. Claypool's a talent. Johnson's a talent. Uh, you know, you go up and down this team and you go, Fryermuth is a talent. They have plenty of talent on the offense. Now, the offensive line is a problem. Absolutely. But so is Cincinnati. Cincinnati's offensive line was a disaster last year. They tried to fix it in the offseason. I don't like the pieces that they brought in. I look at this team as a flawed Cincinnati Bengals team. I don't think that they should be given six and a half on opening night to anybody, especially to a division rival and a division rival that can get after the ball the way that the Pittsburgh Steelers can certainly get after the ball. You look at a situation where you're trying to find something here. It looks like a low-scoring game, and I think people are going to overrate on a prop play. They're going to overshoot Jamar Chase. They're going to overshoot uh, a, a guy like Higgins. They're going to overshoot a Joe Mixon. They're going to overshoot a Joe Burrow. I like the under for Burrow. I like the under for the passing game. I don't think they're going to get a lot of passing game off against Pittsburgh. This is going to be a running kind of game. So that'll also keep it to the under. Speaking of Pittsburgh, we know Najee Harris has been banged up. I, I expect Trubinsky to have a decent game. I kind of like his rushing yards. I think he's going to be flush out of the pocket and do things with his legs, which the Pittsburgh Steelers haven't had in, what, 15 years. Ben Roethlisberger was never a runner. So they have a new element there that I don't know if Cincinnati is going to be ready for. Philadelphia, Detroit. Detroit's catching four points at home. And Detroit was one of those teams that is starting to get a lot of steam Maybe it's because they were on hard knocks, but we look at it in August. More money was bet on Dan Campbell to win the coach of the year than any of any other coach. I think that's a little nuts, okay? I really do. You look at it, and DeAndre Swift is getting just as many MVP votes as just about anybody else outside of quarterbacks. You look at the Detroit Lions, and it's a team that people want to root for. They're a likable team. They're a team that the whole country now is jumping on top of. I know pros that are saying, give me the over six wins. I absolutely love it. Philadelphia is a team here that people are going, you know, this could be that Philly year. This could be that championship year. They bring in Brown. That was a big move, but they brought in big defensive players. And the defensive players they brought in could be difference makers. My problem is they still don't have a consistent run game. I like Gainwell. I like Scott. Sanders is banged up. They bring in Trey Sermon. They just don't have that consistent running game. And Jalen Hurts, I'm still questioning. I'm still questioning Sirianni. So where I talk about how much I like certain combinations. I don't love the coach here, and I don't love the quarterback, and I don't love the running game. I think Philadelphia's defense can win this game by themselves. 
But I look at this game, and I, I, I'm wondering how Philly's going to find that secondary option. Are they just going to force feed it to Brown and Goddard the entire time? I mean, it, it, that could be the formula, and maybe they beat Detroit by doing that. That's just not going to be long, sustained advancement. I think that they can win this game that way. But I've said this be, before about Philly. I think it's going to take a little time for them to gel. If this was the same game in Week 10, I think this would be Philly by 7. But it's Philly by three and a half or four, depending on where you're shopping. People are all over Detroit. I'm staying away from this one. My initial reaction was, I, I think that Detroit could catch Philly sleeping a little bit. I like getting the four points. But everybody remembers Detroit being an against-the-spread monster last year. I'm going to wait this one out. If you like something under the radar, Philly does have some problems at times with tight ends, maybe Hawkinson tight end. That gives you a pretty decent value. I still think Dallas Goddard is going to be big in the red zone as well. Let's go to another division rival game. Patriots going down to South Beach against Miami. You look back and look, Tua does not lose against Bill Belichick. And you can say it was Brian Flores. And I'm sure that had something to do with it. But Tua does not beat, does not lose against uh, Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick has a problem with left-handed quarterbacks. The line is Miami minus two and a half. Bill always had problems winning in Miami anyway, and now he hasn't won in Miami in a couple of years. We're talking about he hasn't beaten the Dolphins in a couple of years. I mean, the Dolphins are owning this this. Uh, this rivalry uh, for for the last three years, Miami has had the advantage. Now New England, who the reports in camp are just looking awful offensively. People are blasting this. Now, I like Stevenson. I think he could be good. I still think Harris is a bit underrated. Um, I think that Mac Jones could be fine. But they did lose some defensive players. Now, Bill Belichick, from a fantasy standpoint, Bill Belichick has had a top 12 defense for every year of the last decade. So you kind of expect that they're going to be well above average, if not inside the top 10. But they keep losing players defensively and not replacing them with anything offensively. This is going to be a grinded-out kind of game. You look at Miami, and they think high flyer. You think Tua and Hill, and, and uh, yeah, okay, here we go. It's going to be all up in the air. Well, Waddle's banged up. Gazeki has already admitted he's playing a new position because they want him to stay in and block, which means, you know what? Lots more running. And you're going with a running attack of Chase Edmonds, who is more of a pass catcher in Arizona. Maybe Mostert is kind of the guy. There's a lot of question marks in Miami as well. My initial lean here was I like the Patriots plus three. Okay, and you can get it at plus three. My initial lean was I like the Patriots plus three. I was going to take Belichick. I was going to believe in him. But the camp reports from trusted people that I believe in in camp are telling me that this is one of the ugliest looking offenses and it's completely out of sync and just doesn't look good in any way, shape, or form. Now, I know that people are all over Miami and I get the love for Miami and I understand what the, why the line is rising. I can't go against Belichick against a rookie head coach. Not in this spot. I'm not buying into the Miami love. I can't go there and only look back at what we looked at last year because of the uncertainty. If Waddle was 100% healthy and they weren't making Gazeki into a blocking tight end, maybe I'd have a little bit more confidence. If they had a stability at running back, if they had somebody that I trusted in there that was stable at running back, yeah, maybe I could buy in a little bit. But none of those things are the case here. And if none of those things are the case, I can't fully buy into this Miami Dolphins team. Not in week one. Hey, maybe they'll burn me, right? Miami's a great week one team. They historically have been a great week one team. Maybe they'll burn me, but they're not going to burn me because I'm not going to take the game one way or the other. 
if there is a lean here, I do kind of like the under. I think that New England wants to take the air out of the ball. I think New England is in full run mode. They're not even going to joke around of what they're going to do. I think they try to bring back the double tight end sets. I know that McDaniel liked it, but he went away from it last year with Henry and Smith. Uh, and they brought in Johnny Smith, paid him a lot of money. They didn't really utilize him last year. I think that that's what we're looking at there. And Miami told you, when they took Mike Gazeki, who was the number two option in the offense last year, and said to him, you're going to be a blocking tight end, much in the vein of a George Kittle, basically. You're going to be a blocking tight end, basically play out of position. They told us all, we want to run the ball. We want to run the ball first. We want to run the ball foremost. Everyone's into this Tyreek Hill situation and Waddle and what the offense could be. But the reality is, is that the Dolphins, they can run the ball as well. So I kind of lean the under there. All right, let's take a quick timeout, catch our breath. When we get back, we're going to go over the rest of the 1 o'clock games, get into the late games, and that Sunday and Monday night game, that should be very, very intriguing, especially from a better standpoint. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? And wow, look, we're sitting back and we're talking about the odds for every game. The totals can make you plenty of money. So let's talk. Uh, let's take a look at all the totals here. Rams, Bills, 52.5 is the total there. Saints, Falcons, 42.5. San Francisco, Chicago, 41.5. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, 44.5. Philadelphia, Detroit, 48.5. New England, Miami, 46.5. Baltimore, New York Jets, 44.5. Jacksonville, Washington Commanders, 43.5. The Browns, Panthers, 41.5. Colts, Texans, 45.5. Giants, Tennessee, 43.5. Green Bay, Minnesota, 48. You get a 48.5 there as well. Kansas City, Arizona is 53. The Raiders and Chargers are 52.5 and going up. The Bucks and Cowboys are 50 and a half, and Denver, Seattle is 43 on Monday night. That is, what are the odds? So let's continue along the line of uh, the early games. We still have a couple of early games, and we have the game that has a, a pretty large uh, movement here for obvious reasons. The Baltimore Ravens, minus four and a half to open this up. It's all the way up to seven in some spots. You can grab some six and a half, but I see it minus 115 out there. But the Baltimore Ravens, uh, uh, for every good reason, every reason that we know, are, are becoming more and more road favorites here. It's because Wilson is out. And it does bring into an interesting aspect because I think people were banking on Wilson to be better this year, but not too great. Now Joe Flacco comes in. Joe Flacco that knows the system. Joe Flacco that knows the coach. Joe Flacco that has a little bit of you know chip on his shoulder, wants to win here. I find that, that aspect interesting that nobody's really talking about. It's very difficult to bet the New York Jets in this spot. 
The Jets are young. Hall is young. Wilson's young. Even Moore is young. They have young offensive players. They have young def- defensive players. But their line play is just bad on both sides of the ball. The Baltimore Ravens, meanwhile, they have everything in place for a championship run. But they are a little bit banged up here. Edwards, who is their backup running back, is out. D- uh, J.K. Dobbins, who is their starting running back, probably going to be on a limited snap count. Lamar Jackson's hanging over his head is this contract situation. Bateman didn't even get a full year in. They bring in Watkins, who's going to be their number two. Uh, Yeah, he's just barely with the team about, what, three weeks or so. You start to look at this team and you go, everything is there for a deep playoff run, but game one, they may be going through the motions a little bit and trying to find their footing. I think Lamar is just good enough to, to still win this game. Uh, but the aspect that Joe Flacco is out there actually makes me like the Jets a little bit more than if Wilson was out there only because of the connection, only because of the history, and only because I know what Joe Flacco can pull out of the rabbit out of his hat sometimes. With that being said, I still like Baltimore. I got down on Baltimore when they were early. I got them at minus five uh, weeks ago. So now it's up to seven. I would search for that six and a half. Now it's up to seven. This might steam up to like seven and a half, and I wouldn't touch it in that spot. Jacksonville, Washington, here's another one. Jacksonville's three, three and a half, and I think getting that hook is very important. You look at the Jaguars, and everyone's going to talk about Urban Meyer leaving. They're all going to have the conversation about Trevor Lawrence, and rightfully so. I still think Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. Travis Etienne is going to highlight the news, and James Robinson and Christian Kirk coming over. Evan Ingram, can he finally catch? Which means they have a lot of offensive firepower. They have a lot of things that could go right on offense including the head coach and Peterson, that certainly could make this offense go in the right direction. It's good to talk about all that. But I'm looking at this defense and I'm saying, man, you know, this defense really has some things that I am very, very impressed with. I know that they're not exactly household names, but if you're a football guy, their defense is really, really impressive. Josh Allen, uh, the weak side middle linebacker, Devin Lloyd, the left side inside linebacker, form a dynamic duo that is going to get after the quarterback. Uh, all you can, what do you have, about 190 tackles last year, and then Trayvon Walker, who looks like an absolute beast. On the quarters, you do have Darius Williams and Shaquille Griffin. I think the Jaguars' defense is what no one's talking about. I think the Jaguars' defense is the unit here that could get the win. Washington, meanwhile, they look like they were going to go in the right direction, and they're well-coached, and I don't dislike Carson Wentz, but Wentz looks like a fish out of water here. He's a guy that's going through the motions. He doesn't have the receivers to go to. Logan Thomas may or may not play. He's a big guy that likes his tight ends. Well, they're not going to have one. As a matter of fact, the backup tight end is actually uh, questionable to play as well. They had Brian Robinson and the tragedy that happened there about him getting shot. Well, he was going to be the lead back because Antonio Gibson looks so bad. Then you go to the defensive side of the ball. Their best player is young. He's not going to be here for the first four weeks of the season. They lost their strong safety. This team is just a- an injury mess, and they have a lot of moving parts. Now, I think Ron Rivera is a very good coach, and I think that Rivera laying only three points at home against Jacksonville should be the layup that everybody's looking at. But Jacksonville is that up-and-coming team, and I have confidence in Peterson. And while I do like Lawrence, and I have the utmost confidence in Trevor Lawrence, I really do. I think he's going to be fantastic. While I do like him, it's this defense that has me saying, man, I think they're going to frustrate Washington all day, where Washington and their defense is banged up. I lean Jacksonville. You get the three and a half. You get the hook without having to pay for it too much for it. I know the hook's costing 120 in some spots. If you get the hook, I think you almost have to lean Jacksonville. Cleveland, Carolina, 
The Browns are getting two and a half against the Panthers. The Panthers opened up as three and a half point underdogs. Now they are two and a half point favorites. Big line movement once Baker Mayfield was signed and Deshaun Watson was officially out. What an offseason for Cleveland, right? And what a collection of stiffs this team has. Just a bunch of bad news dudes. Uh, Miles Garrett swinging his helmet. You got Kareem Hunt and all his problems. Now you got Deshaun Watson. It's just not a good place to be. Now I do like Nick Chubb and I like him quite a bit. I like Dearness Johnson. Uh, but there's only so much you could do with just straight running the ball over and over and over. Their defense is solid, and that's why I'm looking at this and I'm going, I'm not joining the crowd. I had originally said I kind of like Carolina, and the Baker Mayfield aspect of Baker against the world is certainly there. The Baker Mayfield aspect of, oh, this is his revenge game, and he plays ball with a chip on his shoulder is certainly there. But let's be honest, Cleveland has the defensive advantage. Even though I like Chin and I like Burns, they're better on defense, the Cleveland Browns are, than Carolina. Then you go to offense. Quarterback, yes, I'm going to give it to Carolina with, with Mayfield. Running game, Cleveland. Even with McCaffrey, yes, running game, Cleveland. McCaffrey does things in the passing game, of course. But the overall passing game, all right, I'll give it to Carolina. That's one unit that they've won. And then you go to the coaching, and the coaching has to go to Cleveland. I want to root for Carolina. And I think a lot of the public wants to root for Carolina, which is why this line is where it is and rising. The public likes Carolina. They want Baker Mayfield to get the revenge against this bad, nasty team in Cleveland. I get it. So do I. But we can't bet with our heart. I kind of am leaning Cleveland here. I All summer, I said Carolina. All summer, I said Carolina could be a playoff team. But I'm kind of leaning Cleveland in that us-against-the-world mentality. You don't have to like these guys. They just have to pay you money. And I'm looking at Cleveland and saying, they're just a better team. Now, does it facilitate onto the onto you know the field and they win it outright? I, I don't know. But they are the better team as it is constructed right now. Indianapolis, Houston, well, we know who the better team is, right? I mean, the Houston Colts are, uh, Indianapolis Colts, I'm sorry, here, are eight and a half point favorites. Houston is going to be one of the worst teams in the league. But there's some promise here. We go back to that number where 60% of divisional underdogs pay off. And this is a divisional home underdog, which the percentages are now well over 60% that pay off in week one. Houston has a lot of problems. I asked on the air in my Vegas show, I said, hey guys, you know, can you name three defensive players on Houston? And I got a text message from one of the listeners and said, I can't name one. I mean, that's where they are. But they do have some explosive players on offense. Davis Mills is better than people give him credit for. Their running game has now been handed over to a, run, a rookie running back. Why? Because he stole the job and he looks fantastic. Uh, you look at Brevin Jordan. He's got upside at tight end. I like Nico Collins has upside. They have upside players offensively. And then you look at the Colts. Everyone has the Colts just hitting the ground running, winning this division with no problem. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost a lot of assistance there. Their best defensive player is Darius, or call me Shaquille Leonard in the middle. He's going to be out of this game as well. And then you look at the Colts and you go, who's their receivers? I mean, Michael Pittman has a lot to prove to me, and Mo Cox is their number two option. Mo Cox is, you know, he's six foot five. He's a huge body guy, but he's 28 years old and he's done nothing so far. Matt Ryan is not going to just fix this. I like what the Colts did. I like their offensive line. I like their defense. But I'm not going crazy for them. And you can't lay eight and a half points in week one on the road in the division to a team that will play so free and loose. Absolutely crazy. This is one of those games where the Colts could win this game 35-0 or we could watch Houston play real crazy football, onside kicks, craziness, throw it up, hope for the best, and really just stun the Colts and stun everybody that backs the Colts. For me, this is Houston or nothing. 
Giants, Tennessee. Here's a game where I did like the total. I was all over the under in this game for a while. And then one of those injuries that happened that around the league and to league people and everybody that follows the NFL, we went, wow, that's devastating. But the public said, oh, I don't even know what that is. And that is Harold Landry went down for the Titans. He's going to be out for the entire season. Harold Landry came over from Boston College. He was going to be a pass rushing specialist, and that's exactly what he's done. He has been the best pass rusher on this Titans defense. He just got a brand new contract before the year because they knew how important he was. And it was going to be Landry and Simmons clogging up the middle, uh, Simmons clogging up the middle, and Landry coming around the end. Well, now that takes away a lot of Tennessee does. We know what they lost offensively in Brown. Obviously, that is a huge offensive loss. And now it's going to be the Derrick Henry show and Ryan Tannehill. Can you find uh, Traylon Burks? Well, Traylon Burks right now is kind of like number two, maybe three on the depth chart. He's not the immediate fill-in that Brown is going to be in any way, shape, or form. Robert Woods is good, but he's coming off of an injury. I'm not sure what we could expect there. I don't love their tight end situation. And again, are they just going to run Derrick Henry coming back from an injury in game one 25 times into the line? The Giants, meanwhile, they're an absolute mess, right? And you look at this number and you go, Tennessee was a six and a half point favorite. It's down to five and a half. People are going on the Giants. Well, the Giants are a mess, but they have hope, I guess, for Giant fans, right? Everybody loves Saquon Barkley. I am not a believer in Daniel Jones. I am not a believer in their tight end. They're going with Bellinger, a rookie that really didn't have great stats in college. He's got the athleticism, but he has not shown it on the field. Kadarius Toney is banged up. Kenny Galladay can't get out of his own way. They don't have a receiving core. I like Leonard Williams in the middle. He's wearing a big brace on his arm. Guys, this is a Giants team that just let go of Blake Martinez, their number one tackler and the middle linebacker, probably their best defensive player outside of Leonard Williams. I don't know what's going on in New York. Brian Dable is changing the culture. When you change the culture, sometimes you have to take a step back to take three steps forward. And that seems like the situation in New York. I don't trust anybody on offense to move the ball. And I just don't trust anybody on defense at this point because of the injuries and the cuts. This should be a nice, easy Tennessee win, but there's so many moving parts and so many new things. I will say this. Look, Vrabel can squeak out a win here, and I think he will. I think it's going to be one of those ugly Tennessee wins, but the fact that they lost Harold Landry will give Daniel Jones some time to operate back there. Just don't know if he has anybody to operate to. Minnesota, Green Bay, another divisional underdog where Minnesota is at home getting one and a half points. Well, we know why. Okay, we know that Aaron Rodgers lost Devontae Adams, but he also lost Demarius Smith in the middle, who was a dynamic defensive player. People have the Green Bay Packers uh, putting out their top three defense this year. And I'm going, you know, you have to look at the, the subtractions as much as the additions, as much as you want to. And their defensive subtractions do worry me. Green Bay wants to transition, and Matt LaFleur wants to transition this Green Bay team into a run-first team while you have Aaron Rodgers there. Well, is Rodgers going to stand for this? All offseason, all we had to, to listen to was that Rodgers was unhappy. Then once he was in camp and he was signed and everything was okay, it was, wow, he's got nobody to throw the ball to. He just has no receivers. What is going to happen there? Uh, Valdez Scanlian is gone and Adams is gone. Uh, Robert Tanyan is banged up. What is he going to do? Look, he's going to find receivers. They just won't be as prolific. And now you go into Minnesota. Minnesota has a new head coach, and I don't like betting on new head coaches in year one specifically and, and definitely week one at all. But they have a new head coach, and their philosophy is we don't have to run the ball every single time. We don't have to run Cook into the ground. 
Justin Jefferson has already commented, wow, this is how, uh, this kind of offense is why Cooper Cup was open all year because he's loving the offense. You have Thielen still there and still productive. Irv Smith looks like he's coming back and healthy. And Kirk Cousins can run this offense, especially with Dalvin Cook behind him, who is a good player. And then you look at the defense, and the defense of Minnesota is getting a key defensive player back, especially for a game like this where they want to run the ball in Daniil Hunter. People don't know about Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter has very, very much... Uh, made his claim to be one of the top five defensive linemen in the sport when he is healthy. Well, he wasn't healthy all year last year. I like Minnesota on the year. I told you guys I have their team total over for wins. I think that they steal this division. I like Minnesota on the year. Game one, though, I have a feeling that Aaron Rodgers and all his mushrooms and all the things that he's doing in the offseason, I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And I think he's going to want to prove a point does he get the point proven? I'm not sure, but I'm not taking Minnesota, even with that percentage that I told you. One and a half is not enough. You give me three, I made a thought about it. One and a half is not enough to tempt me here. Kansas City, Arizona. Kansas City opened up at two and a half point favorites. It's up to four and a half. Everyone's fading Arizona. Well, I understand why a lot of guys are banged up there. Kyler Murray got a new contract. And what we know about Arizona is they win early in the year and then they fade because Cliff Kingsbury can't win games after like December. He just fades badly down the stretch. But Arizona also lost a lot. They lost defensive players. They lost their best defensive player in Chandler Jones. Zach Ertz may not play in this game. DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for this game. They lost Christian Kirk, and they replaced it with Hollywood Brown. I think Brown and Murray, I think that's a nice combination. I like James Conner. I've liked him since college. I've been a big fan of his since college. He's not scoring nearly 20 touchdowns again. Eno Benjamin is his backup. He's kind of the third down back. He's got talent, but again, unproven talent. If they have to go with a rookie and Trey McBride for the first game and not Zach Ertz, who should be their number two option, that really puts a clamp down on their their passing game. And their passing game has to be working for James Conner to get running room. He's not a guy that can kind of create on his own. As far as Kansas City goes, well, I'm glad to see this line movement because people are writing off Kansas City too, too quickly here. Kansas City does have problems. I'm not saying that they don't. But it shouldn't be all the conversation, Tyreek, Tyreek, Tyreek. The Tyreek Hill thing has been completely and utterly overblown. I've spoken to people around the league, from players to coaches to GMs, and basically the feeling is, look, he's he's a wide receiver. He's a great wide receiver, but he's a wide receiver. Travis Kelsey's age may be more of a problem, and the fact that they don't really have that established number two. I think Marquez Valdez Scanley will be very good. I think Sky Moore can fill that role, and everyone's expecting Juju to step up. You know, he's got options here, Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is also a guy that we know absolutely keeps count of when people start counting him out. I watched a talking head on one of the major networks say that Patrick Mahomes is now not a top five quarterback in the NFL. You know Patrick Mahomes heard that. You also have an absolutely, just fanatically great offensive mind in Andy Reid. He's going to change. He's going to switch. He's going to move. You give Andy Reid the pieces. He's going to find out how to best use them. I have faith in Kansas City offense. The defense, look, I'm not as sold on them. I think Nick Bolton does step up this year, but I'm not as sold on the defense. This has a high total, like I just talked to you guys about, in one of the odds for a reason. But I do think people are counting Kansas City out a little too early. It's good to see that there's some line movement coming back to them here because they shouldn't be dead and buried. They shouldn't be one of those teams that were getting, uh, you know, only giving two, two and a half points when this opened up to Arizona, who is banged up all over the place. And I don't think they're going to be very good anyway. I don't have Arizona making the playoffs, so I don't think Arizona is going to be very good anyway. I know what Murray can do. The rest of the supporting cast just not there for me. 
the last game at 425 Eastern time. Chargers, Raiders. Chargers are down to a three-point favorite in some spots. It's three and a half and a lot, but you could find threes out there. I know specifically uh, as Caesars changed it to three early and some of them went followed suit after that. The Raiders are the most bet team to win the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Well, of course, they're Las Vegas, but they are one of the most bet week one teams as well. You look at Las Vegas Raiders and everyone's jumping on this team. Devontae Adams comes over. Chandler Jones comes over. They have everything working. And people believe that just because you pair Devontae Adams with his college coach, everything's going to be amazing. Or his college quarterback, everything's going to be amazing. And you bring in Josh McDaniels. Well, here's the counter side to that. The counter side to that is that Derek Carr and Adams have not played a game together in years. Josh McDaniels has failed at every stop. Josh McDaniels has come into every stop and tried to be almost mini Belichick. He's come in and said, my way, my way, my way, my way, my way, and we're going to force my way. Well, this is a team that just had success doing it their way. And I'm not even going to say the coach's way, their way. It was the Derek Carr way. They also have a problem with running backs because they don't really have one. I don't believe in Josh Jacobs. And then they have a slew of hopefuls behind him. Darren Waller basically took the entire summer off. He was banged up. He couldn't play. His body is breaking down. And then he switches agents and he wants a giant contract. Darren Waller's a concern to me. So Adams fitting in the offense is a concern to me. Josh McDaniels putting his hand too much into Derek Carr's brain worries me a little bit. I am concerned about the offensive line that lost some big key members of the offensive line that was a good offensive line. The running game concerns me a little bit. So there are certainly concerns. You go to the defensive side of the ball. Look, I like Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, and I think they're going to create havoc. I don't love their linebackers, and I certainly have questions about their defensive backs. On the other side, the Chargers have very potentially the most complete roster in the NFL. I think that the Bills still have a better roster probably the Rams, but outside of those two, they may have the most complete roster in the NFL. When you really look at what the Chargers bring to the table, there is not really a hole. Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler, now they grab Sonny Michelle to back him up with Isaiah Spiller. You have Williams, you have uh, Keenan Allen, you have Gerald Everett and Parham behind them. They went out and really solidified that offensive line. Defensively, Derwin James is the best safety and he's paid like it now. Uh, in the NFL. Joey Bosa coming off the edge. They added Khalil Mack. I mean, there's not a hole on this team. I will say this, though. 5,000 yards last year for Justin Herbert, 20 touchdowns for Austin Eckler, and they didn't make the playoffs. I worry about the coach here more than anything else. You can tell me there's some defensive line problems, and I understand that, but I don't think the Raiders are a team that are going to take advantage of the middle of the defensive line and their offensive line be able to push back and run the ball all day. No, that's not the team that's going to take advantage. That building will be filled with more Raiders fans than Chargers fans. It's a travesty what they did and took this team out of San Diego. Unfortunately, it's going to be filled with Raiders fans and not Chargers fans. So you can have that if you want to go that way. My problem is I don't like either one of these coaches enough to say I definitively like this team. I don't think the Chargers should be getting faded here, and that's what the public is doing. I think the Chargers are a more talented team. I think that the Chargers are the better team at the end of the year. But for game one, it worries me a little bit. I lean the Chargers. I like the Chargers. But I'm not in love with this Chargers team. And that could be a concern. I think the future is bright for the Chargers. And the future could be even this year. But for game one, I'm a little hesitant to lay the points in a divisional matchup. We just talked about the percentages. I'll go back to it. 60% divisional underdogs in week one cover the spread. Now that we're talking about the future, let's go back to the future.
We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to, to the future. future. Let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future. Hey, we can always look ahead to week two. Let's look at the Monday night games in week two. The Titans face the Bills. It's a seven-point spread right now. Bills are a seven-point favorite. I've seen that touch up to seven and a half in some spots. Vikings and Eagles. Eagles are a two-point home favorite over the Vikings. This one has been between one and a half and two since the opening. That is the look ahead. That is bet to the future. All right, guys, before we go too far into the future, we still have two games left this week to talk about. The Sunday night matchup and the Monday night matchup. And I... I always save these two because it's in order for the Sunday night and the Monday night. They're the catch-up games. They're the, t- the games where everybody's scrambling. If you had a bad day, you're trying to catch up. If you had a good day, you're going, ah, you know what? I'll double it up. And they always get into the danger zone, specifically for new betters. They, this really Sunday night and Monday night danger zone games have just put pyramids in the desert and <laughs> everything else, right? I mean, they really, really, really pay off, and they pay off really well um, for the books and not for us. So you have to go into these games with the idea that I opened up the show about when we sit back and we talk about, you have to go into these games with the mindset that, okay, would I bet this game if it was during the Sunday afternoon? You also have to go into these games and think to yourself, who is the public backing? Because who is the public chasing, right? Who is the public chasing? Now, it's not always a by and large hard rule. You have to go against the public. I hate that. I hate when when people say that handicappers just, oh yeah, it's a lazy way of going about it. I just go against the public. Okay, well that's lazy. But you have to keep that in your mind of why the line is moving. So we have Tampa Bay who opened up as a two, two and a half point favorite. They're down to one and a half. People are betting the hometown Cowboys. Now, the Cowboys are a team that often get bet in a public arena. They are the Yankees. They are the, the Lakers. They are uh, Kentucky basketball, Duke basketball. They are Alabama. They're always going to be a very well-backed public team, especially at home, especially in prime time. But that is basically negated by Tom Brady. Tom Brady always gets public money as well. Now, he covers really well, but Tom Brady gets public money. He does get a lot of hate money, but he does get a lot of public money. This line, though, I think it's just because of all the uncertainty that Tampa Bay has had and why it has fallen a point or so. And it hasn't fallen too much, but it's fallen about a point. You could tell me it's the meaningless point from two to one or two and a half to one and a half, but it's still fallen a point. I think it has to do with the public being aware that Tampa Bay is missing three offensive linemen. The public being aware that Tom Brady stepped away from the game for 11 days in the middle of, of training camp. None of this might matter. And Chris Godwin coming back really does help. And he still has Mike Evans, and he still has Cameron Braid, and he still has Leonard Fournette. And on the defensive side of the ball, they are expected to be better. And you still have the middle linebackers led by Devin White. Everything here is set up for Tampa Bay to have another very good season if Brady doesn't, you know, just get a little too old or get killed back there. Oftentimes, the public does not give enough credence to the idea that at the end of the day, let's be honest, offensive line matters a lot. And the Tampa Bay Bucks lost three offensive linemen in the offseason. They also lost their head coach. And you can have some subtractions and kind of get over it and even an addition by subtraction. But I don't think that's this case. I like the coaching move. I understand the coaching move. But it has to also impact your mindset if they do get off to a slow start. Tom Brady being away from the game. Maybe that's just enough in a close game, which this is supposed to be, to give them the advantage. Maybe without Gronk, it's just enough to give them the advantage. But I think Chris Godwin being on the field really can mitigate that damage, that early damage in this one. I look at the Tampa Bay Bucks D, and I think this D is really going to have to hold the day. 
Dallas comes in. Their offense is a little bit different this year. You still have Ezekiel Elliott, who looked good when he was running last year. Look, he didn't look like he had the same pizzazz that he used to have, but he looks solid. Pollard is a weapon upon weapons. The Dallas Cowboys are expecting C.D. Lamb to just ascend to the number one role, but he's never been a number one guy. He's never gone up against number one cornerbacks. And in his brief time in the NFL, he's looked good, but he hasn't looked great. C.D. Lamb is a guy that everyone's expecting to step up, but will he step up? I don't think Michael Gallup has a big role here, but Dalton Schultz certainly will, and he looked really good last year. But it's going to be on Dak Prescott again. The offensive line lost some talent. They lost some guys with injury. They lost their number two and number three wide receivers. Ezekiel Elliott's another year older. Is his legs a little bit more tired? Can C.D. Lamb take that next step up? The Dallas Cowboys, like the Bucs, have a lot of the same things in place, but they also have a lot of question marks as well. The Bucs defense, I talked about how good they could be. Dallas has a chance to be the best defense in the league. Now, you are dealing with youngsters, okay? You're dealing with digs outside, and interceptions are generally fluky. You're dealing with Micah Parsons, who people expect to be taking that next step, that next level. But now there's film on these guys. Uh, you have Lawrence. You have good players on this defense. But again, there is film on them now. They should carry the day here. Same thing with the Bucs. While we're all looking at Tom Brady and Dak Prescott, and we're all looking at the subtractions for both of these teams offensively, and the C.D. Lambs and, and uh, you know, the idea that Mike Evans and Godwin and Fournette and Zeke and Pollard, the names are all there on offense. To me, this is a defensive game. And which defense do you believe in more? Do you trust the Buccaneers and what they can put out there? Or do you trust Dallas? Dallas is at home. Dallas is getting money. This is a Sunday night game I'm not touching. Just like I wasn't touching the Thursday game. I think it's going to be a great watching kind of game. But it wouldn't shock me if the Tampa Bay Bucks kind of looked a little out of sync. And it wouldn't shock me if Dallas did also. They're both transitioning. If this was a Week 8 game, if this was a Week 10 game, oh, it would be a completely different feel. We would know the teams. We'd know how they looked. we know how the coaching change made uh, made out to be. We'd know if, they're, if Micah Parsons just had a good season or if he was going to be that guy. We would know a lot more. But we come in without that knowledge. I think you stay away from this one. If you're looking for a good prop bet, hey, Cameron Braid is the, the receiving threat there, and Tom Brady knows him. It's easy to take a prop bet on Godwin or Evans or Fournette, who I think Fournette is going to have a great game, by the way. You want to take a prop bet on him, sure, I could go that way. But Cameron Braid to score a touchdown. You, you see that I like the touchdowns from tight ends early on in the season. Yeah, I, I like that a little bit. And Dalton Schultz, yeah, he could be the other guy on the other side. And we go to Monday Night Football, and I am terrified for the public with this game. I have not met or spoke to one amateur better, one mid-level better, or one professional that likes the Seattle Seahawks. Not one. Nobody likes Seattle. I've spoken to a couple of sportsbook directors that basically are telling us they're doing exactly what I'm saying. We're just not getting any money on Seattle. The line opened up at four. It's up to six and a half. I fully expect this to be a touchdown. I can lay out all the reasons why everybody likes Denver. Russell Wilson is back. He felt slighted by Seattle. He's coming back home to Seattle where he just dominates. He's got an offense with Javante Williams, who I, I think is going to be one of the top three or four running backs in the league. Melvin Gordon comes back with something to prove. He's got Albert O as his tight end, a good offensive line. Sutton's on the outside. Hamler's on the outside. Judy's on the outside. The offense has all the weapons for Russell Wilson to absolutely explode. And why are people taking Denver not only to win this game, but to win the Super Bowl? Because their defense is really good as well. They have a top corner in the league. They have a top safety in Jackson in the league. Bradley Chubb comes back healthy. This Denver Broncos team looks like they have it all. 
But hold on, there is the other side to the coin. And the other side to the coin is very simply this. Seattle's not going to just lay down. Seattle is still at home. Pete Carroll is still a, a better than average coach, even at this age that he's going into and the team that he has. You look at Seattle, they still have Metcalf. You still have Lockett. Rashad Penny lit the world on fire late last year. And Geno Smith, while, I, look, I'm not a big fan of Geno Smith. I think we watched in brief glimpses, he can manage a game. Seattle also improved their offensive line. So there's some things there for Seattle. Being at home, getting probably what will be about a touchdown, if not a full touchdown. You have explosive offensive weapons. You have things that can scare you. You also have the Denver side of things, and this is why I don't have them winning the Super Bowl, is you have to count on all of these parts to be able to work. Cortland Sutton had a good year, got injured, came back, didn't look the same. Everyone's expecting him to just hit the ground running and be perfectly healthy. Jerry Judy was great in college, had the first year. I know he was banged up again uh, in his first year, but he didn't look the same as he was coming out of college. Can Russell Wilson make him to be the guy? Albert O was a guy that nobody even knew his name most of last year. People are expecting him to become a superior a superior tight end, uh, especially pass-catching-wise, where Russell Wilson's never really supported a pass-catching tight end. You look at Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, I think they're going to be very good. But what if they're not getting the carries because they're letting Wilson run? And Wilson's in a new system, a new city, a new coaching staff, a new feel, a new fan base. I don't know if he's going to hit the ground running like everybody just expects him to be. On the defensive side of the ball, Bradley Chubb is coming back from an injury. They have a couple of guys like that coming back from an injury. You also have to ask yourself, how much do we trust and believe in Nathan Hackett? Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is a guy that... I don't know. I wasn't too impressed with. I don't like what he sounded like in the preseason. I don't like some of the designs that I saw. I don't like some of the practice reports that I was getting out of Denver. I don't like him as a head coach. So there are reasons to not like Denver. But then we go back to Seattle, and I gave you all the good about Seattle. Well, here's the obvious bad about Seattle. They do have a banged up running back. The guy cannot stay on the field, and he was even hurt just this week. You have Pete Carroll that potentially the game has passed him by. He has made blunders over the last couple of years that he really didn't make early on in his career. Geno Smith probably shouldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's all offensive, but let's look at the defensive side of the ball. Defense was their calling card for years. Bobby Wagner was in the middle of that. Bobby Wagner is a borderline Hall of Famer that took his talents to Los Angeles. He is no longer in the middle there. And you go, no problem, don't worry, his running mate for the last couple of years, has been K.J. Wright. Well, K.J. Wright decided he was going to retire as well. So you have two middle linebackers on a team that relies upon stopping the run, on a team that relies upon those guys in the middle, two middle linebackers that won't be there. So you have a quarterback that's iffy, middle linebackers that are, are just vacant, a defensive line that doesn't really get the good push that they need. And while you do have some offensive weapons, I'm not sure they're going to be able to utilize it and Pete Carroll against Hackett should be a mismatch for Seattle, but is this the same Pete Carroll that we know? I'm nervous because everybody in everybody that I talk to is on Denver. They're on Denver huge. They like Denver for futures plays. They like Denver for Super Bowl plays. They like Russell Wilson for MVP plays, even though he's never gotten a vote. They like Denver in this game. Normally, a Monday night home underdog plus seven, I usually like that. I usually like an experienced quarterback. I usually like an experienced coach at home in this spot. I'm not sure I could take Seattle, but I certainly can't take Denver. I'm the other way. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm the only guy not taking the Denver Broncos here. 
uh, because I'm not exactly taking Seattle. But if you gave me a free hundred bucks to bet on it, I would be taking Seattle and not Denver. It's a home dog. It's going to be about a, a touchdown. And wait, by the way, if you want to bet this game, wait until Monday because it's going to get up to about a touchdown. I think it does get to that seven number. And when it gets to that seven number, now all of a sudden I do see some value on the Seahawks team that nobody wants a part of. So that's going to do it for me, guys. As you can see, look, I like underdogs this week. I like divisional underdogs, which the percentage I gave you at the top of the show hit at a 60% clip. Give me those underdogs. Give me those home underdogs. I think that we're going to see a lot of unders early on in the season as well as teams have a lot of new coaches out there, a lot of new quarterback changes, a lot of new offensive maneuvering being around. Be careful this week, guys. There's no reason to go overboard. We already started looking at week two. I already see some attractive lines. Make sure you don't crush your bankroll in week one just because you've been waiting since February to jump on in. Take it easy. Make some money this week. Hopefully, you'll learn something from the show. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.